You're listening to a podcast from the University of Warwick. This series was produced as part of the conference All Together Now, British Theatre After Multiculturalism. The conference was organised in collaboration with the British Theatre Consortium. In this episode, we hear from Jude Kelly, Chair of the 2012 Cultural Olympiad, speaking as part of the panel discussion, A National Theatre. As I said over lunch, in a, in a sense, what I'm going to talk about is, is quite separate, although there's lots of connections. Um, I mean, in my other role, in my main role, my job as Artistic Director of the Southbank Centre, we're about to celebrate the Festival of Britain, 60 years of the Festival of Britain in 2011. And I think for us at Southbank Centre to be on that 21-acre site where the people were invited for the first time, for the first time to have subsidised arts post-war. That was the big symbol of the right of the people to have creativity and imagination because it wasn't just about the arts. Um, and I think the title, How the Festival of Britain Feels After Multiculturalism, is a very significant one for us and one that we're discussing. But if I apply the title, How Does the Olympic and Paralympic Movement Change After Multiculturalism?, then you've got a completely different set of topics to think about. And so I, I hope it's OK with you, but I, I need, to, I think, to talk us through a bit about the Olympic and Paralympic movement in order to understand where national identity might fit into this as, as, a, as a sort of key question. Um, first of all, I, I'm not the director of it. I'm chair of a, a sort of working group that, that uh, has, uh, that really started from bidding for the Olympics and Paralympics and as part of the bid, my role, which was sort of self-afflicted, I'd rather say rather than self-appointed, but self-afflicted really, was to try to reframe for the Olympic movement itself the fact that when it was created at, at, the, at the end of the 1800s, that actually Pierre de Coubertin, who founded the movement, was an educationalist and a poet and a boxer, and that it was predicated on the idea that humanity needed metaphors of beauty and it needed metaphors of peace, and that, the, that his strongest conviction was that you needed to put together sport, culture, education, and the knowledge of world histories, and that until you did that, the world couldn't have a conversation with itself about what most mattered. Now, he invented this because he said he perceived a malaise in French youth whereby French youth had lost their idealism. And he, they, he, he said they'd lost it because at the fin de siècle moment, which is probably not unlike now, he felt that all the, um, the structures, the power structures, were, were giving off signs of corruption and that you needed to invent a movement where adults were clearly seen to be doing something that was so beyond the achievable and yet you know, was a dream that they wanted. He said only that would allow young people to re-engage with the idea that life mattered. And if you think about it, to, to invent something where you take as your central theatrical imagery, every single nation will walk through one door together at the same time, and then to pull it off is the most extraordinary achievement. Now, nobody in this room has to care one blink about the Olympic movement. You know, that's not sort of the, the point. But my own reason for getting involved was much more to do with democracy than it was to do with the arts. It was to do with the idea that if you invent something like the Olympic movement and then the Paralympic movement, which I'll come to in a minute, um, you know, you have a choice in the world about movement, about world movements, whether they're the UN, UNESCO, 
whatever, that you can either just let them dwindle on the vine and, and sort of be sucked under by their own Byzantine vanity, or you can get in there and see whether you can keep moving them onwards. And because I had always understood that, you know, we, we've, we've never really, just speaking from entirely Western position for a minute, we, we've never bettered the idea of how we congregate, we've never bettered the Greeks in terms of how we congregate to discuss humanity in the arts from a Western perspective. I felt that we, we had to reclaim the Olympic movement and we had to, and that a key part of that was to revitalize it through the role of culture. Um, so a lot of what I have been about is not sort of trying to work out how do we have a fantastic cultural Olympiad in the UK, so much as how do you reintroduce into the Olympic movement structures that make it obligatory for culture to be part of it and not just sport. Because when we hand it on to, as you know, Rio or whoever, my belief is that the young people of the world are entitled to celebrate their humanity through the arts and not just through sport, because that distorts what the movement was about to begin with. But the bit that Pierre de Coubertin never was able to achieve, because you have to understand he was a visionary who ended up being a pain in the neck to the impetus of the movement, because it quickly got crowded in with blazers and people who wanted to make it about sport. And they, you know, they found him irritating that he kept on returning to the idea of, no, it had to be about culture, it had to be about education, and it had to be about world history. The torch movement, the, the Olympic torch, was intended to be about could we all put down our arms, as they did in the Greek times, and remember that this is about humanity loving each other. So his plan was that not only should every nation walk through the door together, but we should also cultivate and learn about social and cultural histories so that we could understand what respect meant. We're probably another 200 years away, if the Olympic movement survives, from being able to achieve that, but it's worth achieving it, I think. Um, so the, that history of, of str struggle to keep these metaphors going although it's still dominated by the, the history of world sport and contaminated inevitably by the history of sponsorship sort of intervening in the way that a, a, an idealistic proposition gets, um, gets reconstructed, I think there are some centrally important aspects of what the, what the movement still does. When the Paralympic movement was created, which came out of Stoke Mandeville Hospital work here after the Second World War, obviously, again, people were aghast at the notion that um, people could do these things. And it, it, it really made people rethink what humanity was capable of. Um, and the, the, the things that we know about culturally in the Olympic movement, people, are, people in culture tend to be very, very sniffy about them. And, you know, and I count myself as one of them a few years ago. And I, you know, I've still got anxieties about it. But the fact is that the eight-tenths of the world population view the opening ceremony I mean, that is just a staggering thought. And so if, as a nation, you want to talk about yourself, you can be assured that everybody's going to turn on the telly and look at you. And there have probably been no more... I mean, the greatest number of conversations about China happened, really, after their opening ceremony. And thinking about why we won it... I mean, Kerry is here from Stratford East, and when we went to Singapore, we went with 30 young people from the East, and we said, if we do nothing else with the Olympics... We want to say to these 30 very diverse young people that your world will be different in the UK after the Olympic movement has come and gone. We really wanted to say that. And the renaissance of the East as a symbol of not having a distorted class-ridden London was another part of it too. 
Um, but one of the things that I, I think does should make us worried is how much does the UK, because with all its politeness and uh, and kind of unacknowledged diversities as well as the acknowledged ones, how much is it able to engage in national conversation? If you think about the Barcelona Olympics, I mean, that was post-Franco. They had to, as a country, put themselves back together again, post-fascism. In Australia, they needed to say to the world, please stop thinking of us as criminals and oiks. We actually have something cultural to say about ourselves. Athens had to say, let us renegotiate our own relationship to our classical history. And Beijing was saying, we are in the modern world, human rights debate and all. What is it that the UK wants to say about itself when we have you know, so many issues, not just about multiculturalism, but about poverty, about lack of education, about human rights generally, which we are frightened to acknowledge. So on the one hand, you've got, you know, what is a cultural Olympiad? It's a celebration of everything that's rich and wonderful in the UK, in an international relationship with others. What is an opening and closing ceremony? There are four of them, by the way, because there's an opening Paralympic one and a closing of each. What is it that we want to say as a nation about that? Of course, the only people who can say these things are the great storytellers, the great artists. You need those people. I mean, the opening ceremony in Beijing wasn't done by the government. It was done by a great filmmaker and a great choreographer. So there's aspects of the Olympics and the Paralympics that are quite toxic and difficult to, to deal with on all kinds of levels because it's, you know, it's a corporation in a sense that's owned. But on another level, from the people's point of view, it is genuinely something which I would say working class people as well feel, here's an entry point, whether you're a drum majorette or a local dance company or whatever, there's all sorts of ways that the Olympics will grab and excite people at all levels. And the quality of thought that we bring to it is going to affect whether it's something that sort of came and went as a great big party or whether it's something that can be used for national debate. And I think that what's tricky is that in, in like the, the cultural framework of the industries, of the industries of culture, tend to view the Olympics as an opportunity to do the theatre they want to do or the dance they want to do. They want to know, well, what platform are we going to get to do our work? And it's really difficult to turn that around into, no, what is the nation wanting to celebrate and talk about and how could culture support those conversations? This conference was supported by the School of Theatre Performance and Cultural Policy Studies at the University of Warwick, Warwick Arts Centre, the Humanities Research Centre at the University of Warwick, and the Department of Drama and Theatre at Royal Holloway.